0: Welcome to Founded It Fetched It. I'm Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group and I'm pleased you're joining us. We're all about diving into the fascinating world of gun dogs. Whether you're a beginner or have years of experience, there's something here for you. So get comfy and let's get this conversation started. Good evening everybody and welcome to another live call. Whilst I'm getting started, please put um, Rob Lane and Hey and John, please introduce yourselves to the group.
1: Okay, well, um, my name is Robert Elaine. I am the CEO of the Canine Instructor Academy. Uh, I'm Don
2: Denyer I'm one half of Family Dog Services. I'm a dog trainer and behaviourist based down in Kent.
0: And I am the
3: other half of Family Dog Services. I'm Claire Denyer Hello,
0: hello. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. So hopefully we are live now in the Facebook group as planned. Um, normally we do these calls, these Zooms in a closed uh, area, closed community within our members community. But we felt that this subject was one that we needed to bring to the, to the wider community. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jo Parrott, I'm the founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. Please feel free during this call to pop your, your thoughts, your ideas into the comments, okay? We will go through them. We'll make sure there's some time for Q&A at the end. But we're going to go through some set questions first. But also, um, remember the rules of our group. Not everybody's going to agree with everything we say. And that's fine. We're not all meant to to think exactly the same. But as are the rules of our group always, the community groups, it's always got to be in a way where we're putting our opinions forward but not having to go with somebody else. So I don't think we're going to cover anything that dramatic. I really don't. I want to make sure we put the, the rules in place straight away as a really friendly, safe, supportive community. I wouldn't want a call to, to jeopardize how we've come across, especially when there's loads of new people in the group. Hello, everybody who's who's new into our community. Um, we really are a safe space. So let's start with the background to this conversation, you know, um rethinking dog control strategies within the UK. Let's start with you, Rob. Rob, what are your sort of initial thoughts on banning specific dog breeds as a solution to control issues?
1: Okay, well, I was the animal welfare officer for the London Borough of Lewisham when the Dangerous Dogs Act was created. And part of my job then was seizing what were considered to be illegal dogs. And it was awful. I mean, I just can't. Say how horrible it was. Um, people were dumping them everywhere, anything that they thought might be a pit bull terrier. Lots of what would have probably been very responsible owners were so afraid of the penalties but they were just dumping perfectly lovely, friendly social dogs. The rescues were overflowing with them, again, often by people who were perfectly responsible, but were just really terrified of breaking the law. So you've got things that were like Labrador boxer crosses where the owner would look at it and go, well, I thought it was that, but somebody's told me it looks like a pit bull terrier. I'd best get rid of it. Um, we were having to pick up puppies. I mean, I, I remember putting to sleep a litter of five-week-old puppies. Because the bitch, the mother, looked like a pit bull. And the owner was so terrified. She said, look, I I can't risk putting these puppies out there and the people who have them, having them put to sleep. It it was just horrendous, you know. Um, But my main reason for disagreeing with this ban is what we've seen 32 years after that ban of pit bull terriers is it's estimated there are more pit bull terriers in the UK than there were before the ban. Um, so what we've seen is it just doesn't work. There's no point in adding a list, another dog, to the list of already failed acts. There's, there's just no point.
0: And I suppose um, something that you just touched upon there that happened all those years ago, where is my dog one of these banned breeds? That's even harder to recognise now, isn't it? Because there is no even kennel club registration of the breed that's being talked about.
1: Well, again, this was one of the problems then, which will be the problem now is what the law basically says is if your dog looks like, in this case, an XL bully, it is unless you can prove it isn't. And how many owners will be able to prove their dog isn't? They got it from a breeder who said its parents are XL bullies. I'm selling you this XL bully. Um, But if you've got a dog that just happens to look like one and you got it from rescue or a mate gave it to you, how are you going to prove it isn't? There's no documentation, as you say, because there's no pedigree. So how do I prove that my dog is not a uh, XL bully? There's no DNA testing can be done because the dog's essentially a crossbreed. So what you'll find is people just get rid of the dog because they know they can't prove it isn't one, even though they maybe know it isn't one. They know who the mother was, they know who the father was, but they can't prove it. So what do they do?
0: And we are already starting to see some of these dogs in present day being yeah. dropped off, being neglected it's yeah. It's already starting that sort of horrendous move forward on a single breed.
1: Yeah. This is the problem with this type of legislation. First and foremost, it punishes the the responsible owner. You know, the responsible ones are the ones most likely to end up getting rid of their dog because they don't want something terrible to happen to them or the dog. The irresponsible ones, the ones this sort of legislation should target, will just carry on regardless. Um, so yeah, that's the tragedy, we're already seeing rescues now saying dogs are being brought into them because the owner is either aware that it's an Excel bully and is worried about complying or doesn't know it's an Excel bully, but can't prove it isn't. And this will just be a repeat of history. Same thing that happened in 1991 will happen again. It's not the solution we've seen that.
0: I watched some of your, um, news interviews this week that you've been Mm doing on, on different news channels. and I almost felt that you handled them incredibly well. But the person that was um, interviewing you, their horror at these breeds attacking, and they were horrendous.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure their horror would have been the same had the dog grabbing hold of them been any other breed. And that was the bit to me that felt really unfair. Like, I know the XL Bully is an incredibly strong, powerful dog. But there are other perfectly legal, strong dogs.
1: Absolutely. I mean, years ago, I think we've talked about it. I watched a CCTV video of a German shepherd, kill a Man. And at the end of the video, there was no question the man was dead. It took less than a minute. This was a completely untrained dog, just been left in the yard. The guy climbed over for some nefarious means. Uh, reason and this dog attacked him and it took less than a minute before he was dead and I keep hearing all the time we need to ban these big powerful breeds well a golden retriever will kill you you know if it wants to you're not going to win against a, a god so do we ban golden retrievers and there's just this kind of hysteria around these dogs well what are these dogs you know we've got breeds like the bull mastiff the english mastiff they're lovely friendly well but they're huge they're bigger than an XL bully so do we ban those as well We can't just start saying we should ban what we don't like the look of. What you should do, in my opinion, is do what we've always done, which is punish the guilty. And the one thing we've seen in virtually all of these attack videos is the owner wasn't present. There's no owner. The dogs got out, been let out. It's the owner who's caused that incident to happen. And rather than punishing the dogs, especially the dogs of people whose dogs have never attacked them, what we should be doing is punishing the people whose dogs do and that will make those people the people you need to target more responsible not innocent people whose dogs are wonderful
0: hey john i want to bring you in on this bit because you work with uh, a lot of different breeds predominantly gun dogs but a lot of other breeds as well and you work with with dogs in a behavioral capacity do you think as a nation we are ignorant to the capability of even like the small breeds the cockers the labs of how
2: aggressive they can be That's definitely uh, um, you know, what do you think historically most breeds they had a role uh, they had a function of some description and at some point in time most of these dog breeds they've now gone over to being part of the family um, so they tend to be humanized they they're treated as though they're young children and they're not people forget that these are opportunistic predators doesn't matter what size or shape they come in, that is what their underlying DNA is. Um, And yes, we've got certain breed characteristics where we've diversified into the different stronger character traits, certainly in some than in others, uh, which may be more or less desirable. But that was kind of part of the purpose when they were being um, bred for different roles. Uh, Maybe nowadays, perhaps, you know, some of those roles, um, you know, the dogs that were originally bred for dog fighting. We don't have a role for a dog, a dog fighting dogs now, and um, thankfully. But you know, certainly some of the other other roles still exist for dogs. But even you know, on that basis, um, at some point in time, say shooting gets banned, there, does that mean that we no longer have a role for a Labrador and a spaniel and a cocker like spaniel? So I think sometimes looking at it, you know, people people when they have um, these animals, they just don't realise what they were originally bred for. What they're going to get from it, they just see um, a pet. Um, yeah, it's another cat. It's a baby. It's it's a, it's a playmate for little Johnny.
3: <laughs> I, I agree with what John just said, and I think when I think of the amount of dogs that John and I see a week or a month, and to be honest with you, there's just such a massive increase in dogs being out of control not being trained basic good manners um not having their real innate needs met um and all sorts of training methods happening in the background that are almost creating dogs that have no patience dogs that um are frustrated dogs that um Spoiled is the word I'm looking for. I think. Um, Just we're not. What we're not seeing is the dogs that we used to see. And you know, I look at Labradors, I look at Spaniels, I look at everything. Cockapoos, and just the sheer increase in dogs that are jumping up dangerously, dogs that are mouthing and biting dangerously. You know, and people are saying, "Oh, it's a year old. When will it grow out of it?" (laughs) You know, all of this happening and um, you just kind of think common sense has been lost along the way that's my thoughts on it Jo
0: As we sort of like move forward and one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation was like how do we rethink dog control strategies in the UK we've all seen in our group the conversations around Um, it's okay he's friendly as people you know a Great Danes bound up to us and You know, or you know, oh, don't worry, he won't hurt them when it's and a dog jumping all over another dog. How do you think, Rob, we need to address the the overarching here? How do we get dogs as a whole back under control?
1: Well, I think in terms of you know breeds like XL bullies, there are two kind of separate groups of people. There are the responsible owners who get one because they love those big, powerful teddy bear dogs that are really full of mass. Um, And those people will think, right, I've got this dog I need to train. it Now, if we think back, you know, back when I was a boy, back in the old days, people would say things like, that's going to be a big, powerful dog. You better get it under control. And so people understood right from day one when they got a big dog, they had to work harder than people potentially who had a little dog. And there was that mentality that said, you better get it under control. In 2023, I think people have the same principle that it's going to be a big, powerful dog, but the structure for training it has changed. So what they do now is they look on social media and what they get told is if you've got a dog that's going to grow up to be 70 or 80 kilos, that at four or five months old is jumping up on your visitors, scatter food. And that way the dog will be distracted by the food by picking up the food. That never teaches the dog it mustn't jump up. And what it actually teaches it is jumping up is a good way to get the owners to dispense food. So the dog's now 18 months old and now jumping up and then getting down inspecting its food. So I think our mentality has meant that for the responsible people, they're probably going to fail to train it. Then there's the second group, which is the irresponsible people who aren't going to train the dog anyway and these are the ones that i think most often end up going out and causing a problem and those aren't the people who are going to go to dog training classes and 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 sign up to things because uh, there'll be a contingent of them who actually picked that dog because they wanted it to be aggressive and when they have their and i've had those people before contact me and they go oh he's a really good house dog he's only six months old one of my friends came around the other day grabbed him and i'll have to explain to them that no that was somebody you invited in that's not a good house dog is it this person was welcome and your six-month-old dog attacked them, what do you think he's going to be like when he's two? And those are the sort of people that, in my world, you just take the dog off them. You just say, no, honestly, you're not fit to have that dog. That's only going to end one way. And I could tell you all sorts of stories of people I've come across with dogs like that that ended up doing something awful. And those aren't the people you're going to succeed in training because they think this is a good thing. But those will be the dog that breaks out of garden and attacks the elderly couple next door. And we can't help those people because they won't come to training. They won't be looking on social media or coming to your classes. So I think we can help one group. We probably can't really help the other.
0: My biggest fear with it all is the XL bully was made, created, designed to be what it is today. Yeah, And it's not going to take very long to create his equal or one that's even better at being aggressive. From the mix of breeds that we've got available or the irresponsible people have got available, we are only a few years, because that's all it takes for dogs to to breed and mature, breed and mature. We're only a few years away from another nasty breed in the wrong hands.
1: Well, I, I was sent an article from a journalist about somebody, can you believe? who is now crossing XL bullies to Malinois. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, what will happen is those dogs won't be XL bullies. And what we're doing is the same as we did with the pit bull terrier. We banned the pit bull terrier. So they started crossing pit bull terriers with breeds that were larger and less. Because one of the things about pit bulls, contrary to what you read in the media, pit bulls are normally very good with people. It was other animals they were very bad. And I used to get idiots after I did Borsal and people saw me on the telly contacting me saying, can you help me make my pit bull more aggressive? Because I got him as a guard dog and he loves everyone. Well, once they banned it, they then started breeding pit bull terriers with things like American Bulldogs and all sorts of other things that didn't have such good temperaments. And what they created was a massive pit bull terrier. And so now in their ignorance, what they say is, well, then we'll ban that dog too. And what they're already doing is crossing XL bullies with things even worse. So we'll just end up with something worse, as you say, or as you're alluding to. The cycle will just continue, and now we'll get something worse than the XL bully. And going back to what John said, we forget that these are animals designed to kill stuff. And if we keep crossing things better at it, with things better at it, we're gonna get dogs who are better at it. <laughs> it's just madness. You're absolutely right,
0: and it's gonna, it's just going to add to the issues that we've got. And um, John, hey, what do you think are the, like the root causes of like you know? Cause we we see we've seen and talked to some of the charities about how many cocker spaniels they get aged one plus who are aggressive and reactive and all the rest of it. Um, and what do you think it is that's causing a range of dogs to fail in their capability to could control aggression.
3: Right cool. so there has been a massive increase like we do see it all the time the rescue saying you know the cocker spaniel uk um one that's just huge at the moment isn't it spaniel aid and things like that the the, the sheer volume i think there's so many different things that contribute but for me the main contributors over the last couple of years in that scenario are during covid during lockdowns people were getting dogs that maybe didn't really research what the dog was they were getting it just seemed like a good idea at the time because they were at home and they had the time and it was to do with going on these walks that you were allowed to go on So having a companion to walk with. Um, Alongside that, I think a lot of people started cashing in on breeding and breeding maybe perhaps dogs that were not fit for breeding, maybe temperament wise. Um, And those puppies going out to homes where they haven't had dogs before. And so you've got probably puppies that have been bred by dogs that maybe shouldn't have been bred by people that perhaps shouldn't have been breeding going to homes that perhaps some of them people shouldn't have had dogs and at no point is anybody thinking well how do we ensure that the start of life for these puppies is right because for a lot of them it wasn't um And how do we ensure temperament, sound temperament, stability in those dogs? You haven't got it. And then the owner's not understanding how to create um, a a dog that can live in our world um, responsibly with us. John?
2: Yeah, I think it's classic. One of the things can can quite... um... Uh, quite simply can be just poor choices of breeding Uh, we know numerous different breeders Uh, we quite often see three or four of the offspring of each litter and we will feed back to them what we see in those dogs, now there's always going to be an element of nature and nurture that's in there, certainly we can um, the nature side of things we can breed less desirable traits in there but uh, and there's going to be that nurture element where people's perhaps inexperience or their um, their attitude to um, bringing their dog up will create or exacerbate some of these problems. But um, certainly, we can see from these breeders when we feedback um, what we're seeing of their dogs, they may produce fantastic working dogs for an experienced handler or someone that wants a dog for competition but maybe not so much for somebody that just wants to have um, a pet in the house where they take them for, or um, short walks, you know, they're going to take them down the pub with them and the dog's going to need more than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do, the, the uh, feedback comes back to us. So we know what the pairings are and these responsible breeders will will actually say to us, well, I won't sell one of these puppies from the same dam and the sire to, if you like a pet home, I'll send it. I'll it to experienced people that are used to working those dogs mm. and vice versa. If they, if they have a pairing, which produces a very nice calm um, dog there and repeatedly, so they'll then repeat those matings. So I think there can be quite a lot that can be put back to the responsibility of breeders. If they know what they're doing, rather than as Claire said, making a quick buck, I've got a bitch or I've got a dog. Therefore I can, I can breed it um you know don't need any help in breeding it just let the dogs out and let them loose and they breed themselves it's not going to get you um a decent dog
3: when when i took rose to have her eye tests done at the eye test clinic both times when i've done it all three times i've seen dogs waiting to have eye tests that I've looked at and thought why why is anyone considering breeding from that yeah. I was watching dogs that were aggressive toward other dogs going past the car you know and I'm talking about Spaniels Labradors things like that um the muzzles having to be put on because the dog was freaking out about being handled all these sorts of things and I'm just standing there thinking wow like okay these people why are these dogs here to have their eyes test to be bred from when they are not of sound temperament themselves so i think there's just so many things like that in the background as well that was quite eye-opening for me (laughs) eye test clinic eye opening um (laughs) that was quite eye opening for me to see that and to think i had no idea so many people would be here with dogs that are not suitable for breeding, but they're here to have this done because they want to breed.
1: Yeah, and and I I think that it's a really important point that I think sometimes we overlook with things like XL bullies, because in the same way you've just been talking about how, you know, if you got a working cocker spaniel, chances are it's gonna behave like a working cocker spaniel, because although there may be a few people who are trying to kind of create pet working cocker spaniels, the majority of them have that really strong working Cocker Spaniel drive because that's what people are breeding into them. And I think the same is probably true with breeds like XL Bullies. The majority of people breeding them will be people who are breeding for drive and high arousal. And so they're creating those dogs. And then some of those dogs will go into pet homes with people who like with the Malleys or the working Cockers or the working gun dogs, the person doesn't know how to deal with that arousal. And that dog is just this battery with all of this energy stored up and no outlet for it. And then one day it gets out. And that's what you then end up having to deal with.
0: I think Rob, that public perception and the media are almost fooling and shaping our ideas around breed bans Because I, I, can, I can understand absolutely the need to solve the problem. What I can't understand is the knee-jerk reaction to, bri- to blame the dog. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think there's, I think, and in some of the interviews I've done, the presenters have begun by agreeing with the ban, and by the end, having changed their minds, because I think there's this perception that what happens is you ban a breed, and over the next three months, they just all kind of vanish into the ether. And that's that, that's that problem solved. And so it seems like a really easy solution to say, well, let's just ban them. And I get why people think that that seems like a good idea, but they haven't really thought that through. Firstly, how difficult it is to enforce it. If you create a ban, as we saw with 1991 and the pit bull, who was going to enforce it? Police weren't interested, um, couldn't afford it. The RSPCA say they're not cruelty cases. We're not going to deal with them. Uh, The dog wardens would try because they were empowered with doing it, but they had no power. So they would come along and say, I think you've got an illegal dog. The owner will tell them where to go. They couldn't do anything about it because they didn't have any actual powers. And so it just kind of went round and round in the circle. And as I say, we now end up with more of them than we had then. Well, now we're even more cash-strapped as a nation. So if we say ban what you need is something that enforces that ban. And there isn't a process in place. So we say, yes, let's ban, create this legislation, but in the real world, it doesn't actually make any difference. So we have to come up with better strategies than just saying, yeah, yeah, kill them, kill them. Because in the real world, that's not going to work.
0: One of the arguments that I've seen, um, we put up a post and people have given the fours and against and, and many valid points on it. Mm-hmm. But one of the sort of arguments is, The XL bully is big and hard and built to kill, so they should go. Mm -hmm. But all other dogs, they're not going to do as much damage. Now, that in itself worries me because I'm like, how much damage is an okay amount of damage?
1: Yeah. I read a book once about a dog warden who was nearly killed and was partially eaten by a golden retriever. Nobody's going to scream for a ban on golden retrievers, but it was horrific. When you read her story, it was horrific. And and so there's this perception that, and we had this back in the 70s with rock virus and with Dobermans, and then with German Shepherds. There's always been that kind of devil dog, this one that needs dealing with. When in fact, if we actually started, there was a I, I mentioned it in one of the articles I did, there was a baby killed by Jack Russell which never even made the news because it was just a Jack Russell. The newspapers weren't interested in that. But you try telling those parents that Jack Russells aren't dangerous or small dogs aren't dangerous. It killed their child. Now, obviously, you and I are much less likely to get killed by a Jack Russell than we are by an XL bully. But try telling that to those parents. And those parents, I'm sure, would scream for some sort of control over Jack Russells. And we'd all say it was ridiculous. What we have to do, is we have to create better ways of controlling dogs generally but us as owners to have better control over our dogs. And then punishments for the people who cause their dog to be dangerously out of control. Effective punishments that are also deterrents. If we start trying to ban breeds based on their potential, we'd hardly have any left. I think that if
0: we're gonna deal with this as a across the board strategy, What steps, what actionable steps can we take as as dog owners today? And and for many in this group, our dogs are not an issue at all. And we may be thinking, well, well, why do we have to do anything? Our dogs are under control. What steps can we take to be part of the solution? Because I think if responsible owners start showing the way, then new owners who want to be responsible have a guiding light. Does that make sense? And I just don't think maybe
1: that's there yet yeah. yeah well um and I, I always end up coming back to this and i i i didn't think i was going to in this talk but i'm going to is that it doesn't matter what dog you get if you go for the wrong training approach the training is likely to fail you and the dog so i think we need much better standards of training uh, because that increases immediately the chance of the owner being successful. If you go to the wrong trainer, as we all know, it, it doesn't matter how hard you work at it, you're not going to succeed. So I hear all these calls about we need to bring in compulsory training. Well, if it's the wrong trainer, they'll still fail and the dog will be potentially more dangerous than it was before. Um, so, so that's not enough. I think there needs to be a whole raft. We keep hoping there's this one kind of magic bullet that's going to fix this. And I don't think it will. There's a whole raft of things that need to be done. But certainly I think we need to start with better education for owners on how to train whatever dog it is, rather than trying to target particular breeds and suggesting that dog is more dangerous than this dog. As I say, that golden retriever in the wrong hands became deadly. It wasn't anything to do with the breed, it was to do with the individual owner on that dog. So I think we have to start coming up with better education. But I also think what we need to do is have much more severe punishments for those who Do breach the law. Remember, we already have Section 3 of the Dangerous Dogs Act. We don't need any more legislation. We already have a piece of law that says it is an offence for any dog, any dog, to be dangerously out of control in a public place or a place to which the public have access. So we already have that. So in theory, if I was allowing my XL bully to intimidate people from the other side of the road whilst on a lead, action could be taken against me. The difficulty is nobody wants to pay for it. The police don't want to pay for it because it's really expensive to take somebody to court, and because of the way the judicial system is, the penalties are ridiculous. So they say I'm going to spend twenty thousand pounds getting that guy to court, and he's going to get a fifty pound fine. It's just not cost effective. So we need harsher punishments. In my world, harsher punishments. You know, if your dog attacks somebody and injures them, you you're going to prison. That is just a question of how long, but you are going to prison, and. How long you go for will depend on the severity of the attack or who it attacked. And I would make these things so unpleasant that it would almost compel people to go and get their dog trained rather than risk that happening instead of just putting it behind a fence and hoping it never escapes. So I think there's a whole raft of things we need to look at. I'm sure John and Claire have got views on that too, but but I think those are two of the key things. We need to have better training that's more effective and we need harsher punishments for the individual who allows their dog to be out of control.
0: Absolutely, Claire. John, what, what are your thoughts on this part?
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. That the the, uh, the punishments are going to be key. If it, if it's if it's something that can be enforced, um, and it might, and as Rob said, it you know proportional to what has actually gone on. So if you've got a chihuahua that's dangerously out of control, it, it just happens to run off with its lead it's slipped out of his owner's hands, it's run off with the lead running around on the floor, and, he, and um, you know, granny falls over it. That could, that could be a real problem for for granny. You know, it can do some real damage. But, you know, if, if you look at it, it was an accident. Accidents happen. Mm. So, yeah, by all means, there should be some form of punishment there, but it should be proportional Equally, yeah, if you have a dog that is liable to bite somebody uh, or has a possibility to bite somebody, you want to the owner to be so frightened of the fact that that could happen and really land them in trouble that they take appropriate steps um, to mitigate that. Ever uh, the, other, the other problem is obviously, as I um, said earlier, a lot of these dogs that we've seen in the videos and in the uh, news and in the media, the owners are nowhere in sight. Mm-hmm. So it's how do you find those owners? Um, and it comes down to that thing about the responsible owners. Will probably be ones where they've got the, the dog microchipped it's registered to their house uh, and you can find them quite easily but a lot of the people that that um, have um, certainly some of these breeds of dogs tend to be the type that aren't going to be responsible they're not going to worry about having it registered and keeping that registration up to date so how do you find the person to uh, to actually take to court um or to punish for it mm-hmm.
3: It's it's really difficult because the amount and education is the key here. And I agree there needs to be really severe consequences to the owners for these dogs being out of control for sure. But the amount of owners, especially first time owners that we work with who are completely unaware of the dangerous dogs act, completely unaware about dog law in general they don't know that the dog should have an id tag and what should be on that literally i feel like there's a massive gap in what information dog owners know understand and realize they need to abide to but as rob said earlier who is going to enforce this stuff this is the difficulty because we will educate our clients um when people come to our foundation class we educate on the dog law and the dangerous dogs act and all of these other things and most people were quite unaware of it but then they say yeah but how likely is it and this is the problem how likely is it that i would be fined that
1: absolutely
3: and so people were very aware that there isn't the structure or the manpower to enforce this sort of thing. So, if we can't get them small things right, what chance do we have with the bigger
0: stuff? Yeah. I think the hardest part, though, like if you think about it, if you've got an XL bully or a large breed with the Again, I'm very careful what I say here because I I think all dogs should be treated the same. We have a large dog with the capacity to to easily kill. Then if you look at the licensing laws we've got for guns, for example, you're responsible for your gun. You have a license for your gun. If you have the larger breeds, you're responsible for your dog. You have a larger dog. Now I'm not saying it, it can work exactly the same, but most people within the UK respect our laws around gun licensing i don't think anyone at all if anybody other than the people who are upholding it respect the dog laws
1: so I, I think i agree with you to a point and what i think is the responsible people are responsible about our gun laws but we see people getting shot all the time by people who i'm pretty sure don't have a gun license Um, And I think one of the the suggestions I've heard bandied around a lot is about getting dog licences. Again, what will happen is it will be hugely expensive to administer. That's why they got rid of the last one. But again, it will be people like us who go out and buy one. You know, back when I was an animal welfare officer, the people I dealt with who had illegal pit bull terriers who weren't registered also, you know, didn't have a driver's licence and drove illegally. They didn't have a TV licence. They didn't comply with any aspect of the law they were often engaged in all sorts of criminal activity. They weren't worried by these things, because as Claire said, they had such a low fear of getting caught that they thought, well, you know, all the people who, have, who, who may be watching this who don't have a TV license, probably a large percentage of them don't have one because they think the chances of getting caught, that TV detective and actually stopping outside your house is so small that they're not intimidated by it. And what will happen is all the responsible people would go out and get a license and all of the irresponsible ones won't um they won't as john said they won't microchip the dog because they don't want to be traceable if they've got a dangerous large aggressive dog, the last thing they want is that people can easily find them so they they won't want to microchip it or put a tag on its collar and so on
2: um so i think it will again be a, a tax on the responsible okay
1: john oh, i agree with everything that's been said um
3: I think I think the thing is, who's going to enforce these things is, is, for me, the biggest concern. And it's the same with the discussions that are going round and round and round about, about the dog training industry in general. It's the same thing, isn't it? If we put into place dog training industry um, legislations, who legislates that, who enforces that? Who controls that? It's the same with all of this. Um, And I think the reason that we personally haven't spoken out on our sort of business social media about this yet is because there's just so much to kind of think through. And that's what we're almost doing now, having this conversation, is we're thinking this through out loud. We're like, there's this to consider. There's that to consider. But I mean, for me... Be, banning the breed is just not a useful step, in my opinion. It's not a useful step. There'll be another breed. But also, I'm looking at the bigger picture of where does this stop? You know, I see, I look down the future and I think, okay, so is the end result going to be because they can't just keep banning breed after breed after breed after breed? Does the end result be that all dogs will have to be on lead and muzzled? You know, I, I'm terrified that the future of our dogs if change doesn't happen in educating dog owners and in changing dog behaviour. That's
0: my biggest fear, huge fear. Mm-hmm. Is it a case though, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, and if you're listening in the Founded fetch fan Community, I'd really like your thoughts on you, put it in the comments. Is it a case that, as responsible owners in public places we use leads and muzzles you know we've talked about this off of call clear and you know i've i sort of said actually if my dogs are in a muzzle would people think that my super lovely friendly daft spaniel is actually aggressive would they then leave me and my daft spaniel alone is this a good like plan, make my Spaniel look evil, so the rest of the world keep their dogs away from mine because the thing we see in our community um, is this constant barrage of other people's dogs who are not in any control whatsoever, taking it out on our dogs, jumping all our, over our dogs, grabbing our dogs, being in our dogs' faces. So is there a case that we say, okay, well we do muzzle Ampron leads, or do we find this sort of middle ground? Like, you know, what are the rules as a up Should all our dogs be on leaves in public places? And does it go back to what Rob was saying um, about the fact that the irresponsible people don't care anyway?
1: Well, I think one of the problems is um, there are just too many morons out there. You know, in my world, when I'm king, and I say that in a politically correct way, um, <laughs> but there just are, you know. When I'm king, I'm just going to compulsory neuter all morons. But unfortunately, I'm probably, well, A, unfortunately, I'm probably never going to be king. Um, but B, what would happen, and I hear this all the time from people who've got a dog with issues that has to wear a muzzle. And it may not be because it's aggressive, it may be because it scavenges or it poo eats and stuff. So they put a muzzle on it. And within two minutes of hitting the park, there's some dog jumping all over it. And The owner doesn't keep it away from the muzzled dog because the owner is 300 yards away and can't pull the dog back anyway. So, so, and I, I don't think that will change. And I've had so many owners who say things like, when I said to the owner, can you please get your dog? What they say is, well, if your dog's got aggression issues, it shouldn't be in the park. It doesn't make them any more responsible. So... Um, I share Claire's concern about the easy option which is to say well let's just make sure all dogs have to be on a lead and muzzle in any public place. I was really concerned that that might have been where the government would go with this. Well because that way as soon as your dog isn't wearing a lead and muzzle you're already breaking the law. Uh, so I'm in a way I'm less unhappy about them going down the road they have gone than than than, than that one which would penalise us all. But I think that putting a muzzle on won't make your dog any less likely to be stormed on by some other dog in the park. It may deter some people from coming up and interacting with your dog, because some people may assume that if the dog's wearing a muzzle, it's dangerous. But I think, as you kind of alluded to, if you put a muzzle on a dog, people automatically assume that that dog is dangerous. When in fact, you've just put the muzzle on because it's it's scavenging, you fix the scavenging, you take the muzzle off. And now everyone's going, oh my God, look, she's got that dog out without a muzzle on. And we know it's aggressive because she used to muzzle it. Uh, So there'll be a perception that puts a lot of people off of putting a muzzle on their dog. In the same way, lots of people don't like using head collars because they're worried that people will think it's a muzzle, even though it isn't. I think people would be even more reluctant to muzzle dogs that didn't need muzzles.
2: Claire, John? Yeah, I I, um, occasionally I will um, suggest someone to perhaps muzzle their dog while they're working on some sort of behavior change and uh, depending on the the um uh, the issue they've got there if it means that the they could benefit from having space from other dogs as you know the worst case is that people do think that your dog is aggressive and keep him away but as rob says i don't most of the time the uh, people that we'd want to keep those dogs away they're not responsible enough to do that anyway they, they're just not there um, keeping an eye on it. So I um, don't think that helps all that much.
3: Mm. And I think there's a real reluctance because, you know, we know that as behavioural trainers, we can fix things like scavenging and behaviours like that. And in the med- uh, metrum metrum, that's not the word, you know what I mean? Uh, in the middle. <laughs>
1: Interim? The pro- I'm
3: going to use a completely different word. During the process, of um, fixing that. Um, let's just say you're working with a dog who's already been admitted to the vet two or three times for surgery for eating things it shouldn't eat, and you're teaching that dog not to pick things up that it shouldn't. I might recommend to a client um, that they have a muzzle on the dog for safety whilst we're doing this training so that no more incidents happen and the dog doesn't end up back in the vets um whilst we're doing this training and some people are really really reluctant to do that because of fear of what people will think of their dog being on a muzzle so there is this massive whole thing around the muzzle that you guys have already spoke about and I'm just trying to look at it from a slightly different perspective that you you know like some people that j- they just wouldn't want to do that, wouldn't want to do that um, because they think it looks bad. They think it looks bad, you know. And it, and this is where human emotion does, unfortunately for the dog, very often get in the way of training and get in the way of behaviour change because the human is considering what people perceive, what people might think, what other people might be thinking about what they're doing instead of putting the dog's needs first, which ultimately is what
0: needs to happen. The dog's needs should be coming first. In our members, Punti, uh, I think it was yesterday, Claire, tell me if I'm wrong, um, a lovely lady put up a bit of a, a rant where she'd been whistle-training her dog and had some lovely gentlemen, shall we say, come up to her and basically have a go at her that whistle-training her dog was unacceptable in a public place because her dog was, his dog was frightened of whistles. Now, mm. I literally felt for her because I thought, this is the level of the situation we've got. And people listening to this call are probably feeling like we're all feeling now, you know, what, we're like 45 minutes into it. Incredibly frustrated because the answer isn't going to be easy is it? We are constantly dealing with people who are ignorant, and not in a nasty way, just ignorant of what a dog needs, what a dog is, how we need to treat the dog, and how to do the best for the dog they have in front of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is going to change anytime soon. Um, people always hope for a miracle cure. We all have those people every day contacting us, wanting us to kind of wave that wand and just make it better. And, and I think the government is now doing this with this legislation. We all want that quick and easy fix that's permanent and da-da-da-da, and it just doesn't exist. So the woman you're describing does what seems a perfectly reasonable, sensible thing and whistle trains her dog. But then some guy says, well, my dog doesn't like whistle because my dog, out of all of the thousands of dogs at this Park, doesn't like it. You shouldn't do it. And you're never going to resolve those sort of issues. I reasonably politely will tell that person I'm not interested in what they have to say and they should leave um, because I can't afford to worry about that. I personally wouldn't want to muzzle my dog because um, I don't want to put any restriction on my dog that he doesn't need to have. I don't care what other people think. If my dog needed to wear a muzzle, I'd put one on. I, I couldn't care less what anybody else thinks. It's me and my dog in that moment. But it, But I would resent having to keep my dog on a lead and wearing a muzzle because he doesn't need one. Um, so I would be being punished again, the responsible would be p- being punished because of the irresponsible. And I don't think that's, I, I probably wouldn't comply with it.
0: Mm. Nasty, and I don't know the answer to this and I don't know if, if you guys know the answer to this. Um, I, if anybody's listening that wants to put in the comments, are there any issues like positive control strategies in other countries that we could be looking at? Because is you know, in the global problem, you know, where where are they getting it right? Where are where are we getting it wrong? Because we've heard in our group, um, I think it was at the beginning of this week that a, a group in Australia are asking for a ban, asking the government for a ban on slip collars because they are not good for the dog, they are dangerous for the dog. You know, that seems so skewed to us when we all use them very, very safely every single day. Uh, where can we
1: look to for a common sense? Um, I, I don't know that there is such a thing. Um, and most of the legislation that we see isn't really very logical. You know, there are certain countries, for example, where they've uh, banned certain breeds already. There are other countries where you have to get licenses to own certain breeds. Uh, there are others where you have to do, take the equivalent of kind of a driving test to own particular types of breeds. Um, and all of those things have endemic problems with them. They'll work very well in some situations and be disasters in others. You know, if you're one of those people who's very responsible, but really not very good at taking tests, you panic, da, 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 da. straight away, you have less chance of succeeding in having the breed of your choice just because you don't cope very well with pressure. But you might be a fantastic doggo, but you're not going to get that dog now because you can't cope with the pressure of a test. Um, So I think all of these things have endemic problems in them. And I just think we're making it more complicated than it needs to be. We already have legislation that says we can punish you if you're not responsible with your dog. And I don't know why we have to make it any more complicated than that. The problem is always with enforcing it, as we've said numerous times, and the cost of doing so. Um, There was that, I can't remember which one of the children it was, but I remember reading one of the children who was recently killed. The owner was ordered to pay the parents 860 pounds in compensation, 860 pounds. Now, obviously there's no amount of money that's going to um, compensate for the loss of your child. But I, as a parent, would rather receive nothing than receive 860 pounds. It's an insult that a judge felt that that was what this person should pay. But if the judge had said that they had to pay, you know, 25,000 pounds, the first thing they'll probably say is, well, I've got it, I'm on benefits and I've got this. So they'll be told they have to pay 20 pounds a month, you know. Uh, well, next week they're going to have another dog. So I don't think that even if we look to other countries, there's a right answer. There's people trying to do something, but I haven't come across any of them that are more effective than the law we already have. The problem isn't the legislation, it's the administration.
3: I I agree. And one of the things that you just said there, Joe, was, um, yes, um, in this other country where uh, they've already banned some tools And now they're talking about banning the slip lead. This is what I was saying earlier about it's a slippery slope, isn't it? Where does this stop? You know, where does this? They ban this, so then they're going to ban this, so then they're going to ban this, and the same with the breed. The same with banning breeds. Where does that stop? But the way that I see it as well is that this is not solving the problem. We can't ban. No, we can't blame the breed. Just like we can't blame the tool. There are lots of tools I don't use, but that doesn't mean I'm saying ban them, because I'm a massive believer in it's about education, training, um, and personal choice. And the forefront of everything should always be the well-being of the dog regardless whether we're talking about the breeds that are allowed and not allowed also in training the welfare of the dog should always be at the forefront of any decision so all of this banning breeds branding tools is not getting to the root cause of the problem. The root yeah. cause of the problem is education and training for people and dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my take on it.
2: <laughs> and, and
1: what we're seeing is, is we keep banning the things that, at least in theory, give better control. And what are you then left with? Um, you know, I, I remember when, and I think I'm getting these figures right. Three years after they banned the e-collar in Wales, they'd seen a 30% increase in predation. And so the reality of banning this tool that was supposed to protect dogs now meant loads more livestock killed. That wasn't the solution. What we should have done is if somebody used mine inappropriately, punish them for that. But by removing slickweeds, you know, if you think, for example, I know back when I was an animal welfare officer, frequently if you were trying to catch a dog that was loose, it didn't have a collar you could clip on it. And if you tried to put a collar on it so you could then attach your lead, the dog would bite you. So what we frequently used was a slip lead. Get something around the dog's neck so it can't escape. And of course, the slip lead would tighten if the dog tried to wriggle out of it, so it meant it was safer. Now, what do you do in situations like that when you don't have slip leads anymore? How do you catch that dog? And so now the dog runs out and causes a road accident because you had to try and get a collar over it and fail to do so. That we keep blaming the tool when we should be blaming the user. And the same is true with dogs, slip leads, e-collars, all of these things. We should be punishing the user, the person who was at the other end, not the, not the animal itself or the tool.
0: As somebody who lives in Wales, I, I hear people say, oh, well, it's banned in Wales and it's, you know, it's worked or it's not worked or whatever. The reality of it being people who use it in an abusive manner still use it in Wales, they don't care. Go absolutely back to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, those who do care, even the slight death, but still feel their dog needs it, cross the border to Hereford and use it. So okay if mm-hmm. we banner in England, we go to Scotland, we go to Ireland, where does it stop? Um, but like you all, like you've all just said, it's, it's the, the intent of the person, you know. I am always baffled a little bit like the e-collar argument i see the the conversation about harsh use of e-collars and i stand firmly behind it but then i look and i think why are you all not up in argument about the electric fences around sheep and cows and horses that are giving them a wallop every time they leave against the fence it yeah. just seems to be this um humanization of dogs where we are like can't take all this stuff but then somewhere in there we're forgetting that hold on the animal we're giving the most um, support to want of a bad word is the only one of these that's a predator
2: mm.
1: <laughs> it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense does it <laughs> the one that we give the most freedom to is the only one that's likely to kill us <laughs>
0: They're going forward, like, and we wanted to have this in what is predominantly a gender group, but also we have other working breeds, herding breeds that are known to nip. We have, you know, people with um garden breeds who do a job for them, they are their families, um, uh, like safety. They really are, they do play their role. What can we do as a community to encourage education around? dog training about how is best to go forward? Because we can't go out there and argue because arguments never get anybody anywhere as far as I've seen. People will just stick their heels deeper into the ground and hold their position. How can we have open, honest conversations where people learn?
1: Well, I mean, we're doing it now. And, And as you know, I'm a huge supporter of the Ladies Working Dog Group. And one of the reasons is because Although you specialize in gun violence, here you are hosting a talk about Excel bullies and the ban on XL bullies. And those of you who aren't familiar with the Ladies Working Dog Group, it's such a good organization to join because you'll talk about so much beyond what you think you're going to talk about. They cover so much stuff. And I think that, that, that here is a good illustration of the best way to try and get people to see things differently is people sitting around and talking and not just regurgitating the same drivel that they saw or said on the news um or just necessarily believing that but actually asking or speaking or listening to people who have varied views on that so you can make an informed decision and i think that's what we're doing now is we're talking about lots of different stuff and hopefully the people listening can then from that make their own informed choice about whether or not you know as i said when i did those interviews Um, some of the presenters said their view had changed and it's because all they'd been fed was what they read in the paper Um, so you have to have people having more kind of sensible unbiased educated discussion that other people can access so I thank you very much for doing this because I I haven't seen other people doing it and it really needs to happen yeah
2: I, I I would agree with that um I think sometimes the difficulty with it is that there are a million and one keyboard morons out there who will have that that kind of Second mention of the word moron, I love it. Yeah, Uh, yeah, and they can can make people's lives hell just for, if you like, a discussion point. It's not even a a very strong opinion or somebody stating something as fact. Um, So I can see why sometimes that's quite difficult. But yeah, I, I agree. It is about having that open discussion there uh, with people that are actually knowledgeable in those areas not people who think they are or they'll spell some pseudoscience um, or some ideology that they believe in yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, to that oh, i just
3: <laughs> one of the things that was just hitting me in the head literally there was like Think of the practical use of a slip lead to a gun dog person, somebody that, you know, it's dangerous to have a collar on the dog when they're working, but we might need to keep that dog under control very quickly. So a lot of, I feel that a lot of the people that are putting these bands in places. So the XL bully ban, the tool ban, now talking about slip lead ban. These are people that don't understand the use of these things and they don't have the background and understanding. It's knee-jerk reactions. And I think all we can keep doing, as Rob just said, um, and John just said, and you just said, Joe, all we can keep doing is keeping these conversations going and talking about it in a non-judgmental, in a non-pushy, non-aggressive way so that everybody else can come to their own conclusions not because they're being bullied not because somebody's telling them they're a bad person not because somebody's telling them you can't do this or you're outed for that um I think all we can do is just keep these communication channels open and do more of it having really open conversations about you know what dog ownership
0: and dog training should look like. Talking. If you're listening, <laughs> or if you listen to this later, um, like a replay, please put your thoughts into the um, into the comments. Or if you've got any questions or things that you'd like us to cover in the future, please please put them there for us to cover. Okay, because we are an open community of what I hope is honesty and and safety around the conversation. One of the saddest things that has happened over the last couple of weeks is people coming to me and saying, we want to support you on your thoughts on this, this, or this. However, we are too scared to for the the kickback. I hope that everybody listening to this, even if you don't agree with everything we've said, or somebody else has said, um, or you do agree with us, that you can always pull that forward in a respectful manner because having these conversations can only happen in a place of safety so that we all learn the reason. And I take on board everything you say, Rob, and I really, I really, really appreciate you saying what you think of the LWDG because that means a lot, a lot to me and I know we will to, to the whole community. We keep on having these conversations about things that people might not say are necessarily about gun dogs, because directly or indirectly at some point, they do affect our gun dogs. What you may not see as being something to do with you ladies will at some point come knocking on your door. So we try to have the conversations now and inform now so that people can go away and make up their own decisions based on a wealth and breadth of information and not just the hysteria that is maybe fed to us in the press. Is there anything, Rob, Claire, John, that I haven't covered on this topic that you'd like to add before we sort of close this up for the evening?
1: Well, just touching on what you just said, Joe, and it's so prudent and pertinent, is that one of the considerations the government was looking at based on these dog attacks, which was primarily about XL bullies, one of the things they considered, as Claire mentioned, was do we just create an on lead, on muzzle law for all dogs in public places. Now, that's going to affect your members, my members, everybody's members, all of us who own a dog, possibly forever. So suddenly this thing that seems over there, well, I haven't got an Excel, it's got nothing to do with me, suddenly becomes all about you because you'll be restricted in the same way that they So that's why it's important to have these discussions and and be as kind of unblinkered as possible. A very good friend of mine, she um, was until fairly recently a positive force-free trainer, positive only force-free trainer. And I just had some chats with her that suggested maybe she thought beyond that. And it kind of so deceived her. And then she went on to one of the forums that she was a member of and she started talking about slip leads. And she said, because the group's idea is that they should be banned. So she went on (laughs) Playing devil's advocate. I know of things like animal wardens and so on, who sometimes have to use a slip lead to catch a fearful or loose or panicked dog that you couldn't get a collar on that dog um, or that you needed to get hold of very, very quickly. If we banned them, what would happen in that situation? And the group came back and said, well, in those situations I suppose it would be understandable and yes okay in that situation you would probably need one and she said well how are you going to do that if they're banned how will they catch those dogs and you know what they did they kicked her off the group (laughs) they kicked her off the group she's a troublemaker and they kicked her off the group so they just hadn't thought about the repercussions of the road that they were going and I think what talks like this do is it gives people the opportunity to hear lots of different perspectives and really consider them. So, I mean, I know that you don't usually have me on these things because you know I don't know if it's a colour issue or whatever, but you know, you don't normally have me on them. <laughs> Sorry, I was gonna get it in somewhere, wasn't I? Um, but what we need to do is just keep talking. Us, everybody else, just keep talking, you know, talk stuff through. Don't just go by what you read in the paper or you heard on the news or what the leaders of your forum say. Really think it through. That would be my advice.
0: Fabulous. Thank you, Rob. Claire, John, would you like to add anything to that? John, anything to add?
2: No, not, not really. And I, I think as, as we've sort of discussed, it's not going to be an easy fix. There's not not a simple way of doing this. Yeah, you, you, you could treat it, as you were saying, Joe, like licensing with a gun or even, say, licensing with a car. You can prove that a car belongs to somebody. You can force them to have to have insurance in case there's any issue. So you can try and put that responsibility in there and you can have harsh penalties for those not being there. But you still get people that will drive around that don't have driving licences, don't have insurance. You know, maybe it cuts it down to a, I don't know, a acceptable percentage by doing all of that. But actually doing it doesn't remove the problem completely. Maybe it helps. um, Who knows? Um, but it's a massive undertaking to be able to get something like that in place.
3: My my thought process for anybody listening, whether live or later listening back, would be just consider what everything could lead to, um, and don't be bullied into thinking a certain way, and don't be afraid to ask questions. If we keep the lines of communication open and we keep talking about this stuff. I think that is the only way we will make things better.
2: Yeah, at some point, someone smart enough is going to spot something that everybody else is missing uh, and perhaps come up with an idea that will work.
0: I'm smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think John, Two out of
2: three ain't bad.
0: <laughs> I think John is hoping Rob will become king but we don't think that's becoming any I think so
1: too. I'm all in favour of that. <laughs> Make me king. Make me king.
0: <laughs> thank, you both. Uh, thank you all for your time tonight. It really is appreciated. I hope the Founded Fetcher community have enjoyed having a live conversation going on. It's not something that you normally get to be part of. And we really do want your feedback, okay? It's a big group. There's... 8.2 8. thousand of you in there, and sometimes it's very hard in a big space like that to put your hand up or to say anything. If you want to chat to us, you can send direct messages to me, um, to Rob, Rob's on Facebook, to John, to Claire, and we'll have open and honest conversations. None of us are keyboard warriors, we will give you our view and you can give us yours, and it will be a very pleasant conversation, I promise you that. Um, For anybody who wants to look into this further, Again, please contact us, please look on the website, please look at some of our old found it, fetched it, um, podcast episodes because we've covered some of these topics in different ways, like where's the middle ground in training, or the age race with dogs, or looking at reactivity. There's Our first ever podcast was with Rob. It's, there's loads and loads and loads of stuff and loads of information for you to share. Um, thank you for those who have posted and given us your thoughts. We really do appreciate them. And we Go back into the group and answer those um, this evening. Before we finish, and most of you know I've done Rob's course, Claire's done Rob's course, or do you just train on, on Rob's course? Well, we we John and I did
3: Rob's original course before the new amazing five-day residential course. Now we lecture and help out on the new version of the courses. But yes, we did ourselves attend Rob's original.
0: When we were instructor's course. When we were much
3: smaller.
1: <laughs> much smaller. And I had <laughs> hair. <laughs>
0: um, for those of you who want to look more, um, Rob runs the Canine Instructor Academy. Um, CIA, when Claire told me that, I thought she'd gone mad. It was early in the morning. She sent me a text <laughs> saying i would been talking to the CIA. I <laughs> what have we done? Um, and funnily enough, my daughter said to me the other day, is Sam really in the CIA? She'd <laughs> <test laughs> met Sam Tony Croft Taylor. I went, what? She'd- Sam, you were talking to her about the CIA. And I was like, Canine Instructor Academy? Totally unimpressed at that point. up until that point, you thought that Sam was a spy. <laughs> 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 um, but Rob has um, courses, two a year of the run. Isn't that right, Rob?
1: Yes, yes.
0: And part of that course, I did that course with you, part of that is looking at dog law, is looking at, I would say, responsible ownership across the board. So for anybody looking for like, what course could I do? When is
1: your next one coming in? So we've got two courses that uh, there are still a few places left for in October, the 9th to the, uh, the, from the 9th to the 21st. We've got two one-week courses running over that period. Um, So the first one from the 9th is a behavioral, understanding behavior course. um, And as you say, it covers, I don't know any other course, quite like it. I tried to design a course that was unique and the things that we cover aren't covered on other courses. I even do a live behaviour consultation on the last day where people can come and actually observe how I run one of my consultations. Um, I give people all of the paperwork that I use with my own clients. So I want you that when you go out and start, you have a template um, based on everything that I do of how to do it yourself. As you say, we have a guy named Mark Callis who does a talk on the law. He's fantastic. He's always one of the most popular ones. The Denya's come and do two talks on setting up um, your business and on social media. So I'm really lucky to have them. I also have a practical course, which I'm doing the first one of uh, the following week. Uh, And that's all about teaching basic training exercises. I don't believe you can be a good behaviorist without knowing how to train dogs and you can't be a good dog trainer without understanding behavior so now I've created a second course that's based purely on teaching those exercises loose lead walking recall stays not jumping up handling how to play appropriately these are the exercises that most owners regardless of what issues they've got they'll also have behavioral uh, training problems too so I thought I needed a course that covered all of those so we've got those two in October there's still a few places left for those but I think it's I don't know a better course. I tried to create the course that I would have wanted to go to. And I think I'm as close to that now with these as I could be. People get a diploma at the end of it that says they now have their certificate that says I've got this piece of paper that says I've done this course. Um, It's residential. It's five days. Um, Yeah, I think it's fantastic.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. For anybody looking to get the information on that, they can find Rob on Facebook. We can also go to Mm -hmm. www. Canine Instructor
1: Academy. Is that, is that right? It's www.canine-instructor-academy.co.uk.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to wrap this up at this point. Thank you all for listening. If you are a member, this will be put into your coaching call session as the video. If you are not a member, this will be added not tomorrow, but next week's podcast. This will be up as next week's podcast in, in Founding Petri, so you can listen back to it. Um, I will have to do some editing and try to take out some of the uses of the word moron. Um, but <laughs> apart from that, um, we should all be fine. So uh, thank you all. I'm going to end the call now, and we hope to speak to you all very soon. Good night all, and thank you very much. Good night. Thank you
1: very much, everyone.
0: Bye. That's a wrap on today's episode of Found It, Fetched It. Thanks for listening. If you found our conversation valuable, please could you do us a favour and subscribe and leave a review so other people just like me and you can find the podcast. For the ladies out there who are passionate about gun dog training and want more tips, live sessions and a community that gets it, you're welcome to join our membership. Just visit ww.thelwdg.com to learn more. Until next time, keep working with your gun dog and take care.